Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is a man who is valuable because he is still in his original packaging, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm feeling good today. Good. It's been a wild week, as always. If you want to tweet us about your weird wild week or maybe your happy week you can find us at roman circus pod you can follow us at roman circus news for all the latest news in the church i'm at hey it's matt baker zach is at zach mabry z-a-c mabry email us at podcast at roman circus blog.com find us on itunes just search roman circus podcast we're there rate and review us if you want It helps the show out. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else there are podcasts. All right, so, Zach, people love the news segment, but I want to put that off for a second to tell you about our fun, exciting new reverse sponsor we have on the podcast. You ready for this? Yes, let's hear a word about our reverse sponsor. Yes, our reverse sponsor is Tea with Tolkien. If you're on Catholic Twitter, you know about Caitlin's Tea with Tolkien. She has all sorts of great products. Now, now, what reverse sponsorship means, Zach, is it's I bought a mug off of her, and I also bought her book, okay? So I gave her money. And she is now forcing us to now promote her stuff. Usually, if you want something promoted, you give that person some money and they'll promote it. But in this case, I gave her the money and she is still forcing us to promote her stuff. You see how that works? I do. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's some weird 2018 thing that I'm not all caught up on, but. Uh, check her out at Tea with Tolkien. She's actually going to come on the podcast either next week or the following week. We're still in discussions. There are many layers of people to get to before you actually get to her. But I'm working my way through those as we speak. But that's going to be a fun one. So check out Tea with Tolkien. She, yeah, check out her book. She, it's going to come out soon. It's very exciting. If you like Lord of the Rings, you'll love her. That's the that's your reverse sponsorship segment for this week, Zach. Very nice. We're very thankful for the support we give you. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you have any you have any big updates? What's going on in your life? The people need to know. In my life? Sure. Hmm. Um, you know, just busy with work. I had like the world's worst sinus infection earlier this week. Um it was it was like the worst headache I've ever had. Right. Um, but thanks to the power of modern medicine and and steroids, mm-hmm. I'm feeling good now. So, yeah. Yeah, you called some quack over the internet, and he de- hand-delivered some steroids right to your door. It's- I know. It's kind of wild how you do that. So, like, we had this thing through my – I mean, it's not from my insurance, but it's, like, compatible with it, where you literally open an app and you meet with the doctor through your phone. And so I'm literally, like – Holding like opening my mouth and saying ah into the phone camera so she can like see my tonsils and you know talking through all my symptoms and then they just literally uh, transmit the prescription over to CVS and then I get a text that says hey it's ready come get it wait real like so you just 
first of all, you sit in your cubicle and you go ah into your phone like a complete normal person. Everyone is watching. I mean, I was I was at my house oh, because okay. there was literally like wood glue coming out of my nose, and I had this terrible headache. But yeah, I mean, you you are just kind of sitting there, almost like you're FaceTiming, <laughs> doing the whole thing. That's that's wild. Yeah, that's why we had to push back a day. We had some sickness troubles going on, but we're here. We're healthy, ready to bring the hot takes back to the microphone. But yeah, you're feeling good. Everything's good now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Everything is good. Yeah, you sound great. You sound like the Zach Mabry we've all come to know and love. Thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. What else is going on? We have we had some bishops. Do, were they bishops or cardinals that flew over to Rome and took a very ill-advised picture of them laughing with the Pope? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there hasn't been any, like, major developments in the, the kind of current goings-on in the church. Um there was a meeting between prominent members of the United States Catholic of, uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops mm-hmm. and the Holy Father, Pope Francis. And um, the picture they released from it has them all just like sitting around the table laughing. I know. And I'm so realistically, okay, I've, I'm, you've, you probably have too, been in very uncomfortable meetings where a serious topic is being raised and it's, you know, it's a, it's a somber thing. But, you know, somebody tells a joke or, you know, you're able to lighten the mood for a few seconds and that, that's sure. just human. Yeah. But you would think that there would be a grown up that would have said, let's not use a picture of that moment. Right. Yeah. It's not so much uh, that they were that they were laughing. Right. Because that I mean, that happens. People are going to laugh and someone's going to tell the joke, like you said, to lighten the mood. But surely, surely don't the one use that one to blast out to the internet to tell people you're really taking this thing seriously right i mean and they spend money on having like you know public relations consultants and stuff there and it's like did they ask any of those people before they put out that picture because i mean that it wasn't like a paparazzi shot like that was the official vatican media you know photo from the event which you know you would normally have uh, when when they have these audiences there's normally a you know pictures taken right you would i mean again but it's tough because like i think it's you know to be fair you can have lighthearted moments even in really intense meetings and stuff and it's not the end of the world but yeah just again i think it, it shows that there's still there's this lack of understanding of the gravity of the situation that that photo was able to be released yeah it's yeah i, I don't know i I, I, I say this respectfully, but I don't know what they're thinking over there anymore at all, really. Like, it's it's all, like, I, I don't know if it's smoke and mirrors, but it's definitely, like, fog and murky mirror water. I don't know. It's That doesn't make any sense, but it... Right. I mean, I think we just all expected them to be in panic mode after Archbishop Vigano's letter and all these accusations, and it, it's just sort of obvious that there's not a panic mode. Like, panic mode has not been activated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, La- the Holy Father also announced an extraordinary synod to discuss the abuse of minors um, next spring in February. Mm-hmm. Um, what... I think a lot of people are applauding this, and that's fair. I think what people are also pointing out, though, is that, um, you know, the local churches have done a good job 
putting a stop to the abuse of minors mm-hmm. for the most part, mm-hmm. but they haven't put a stop to the abuse of seminarians who are adults and of, you know, immoral practices between priests. Um, and so I, I think that the, the clergy, the, the crisis of, of chastity among churchmen um, is bigger than the instances involving minors. I mean, that's obviously the most horrific mm-hmm. case because it's so evil. Sure. Um, and that that does have to be addressed. But again, you can't really say, oh, this is, we've, we've fixed this, we've fixed the problem because the problem is much bigger than that. Um, so hopefully, I mean, obviously they have a lot of time between now and February to do this extraordinary synod. It's supposed to be the Holy Father and the heads of the bishop conferences. Um, and so, and, and a lot of times those end up being a little bit more conservative than than you'd get in other circumstances just because of the way that the heads of bishop conferences are picked. I mean, it, it depends on the country. Um, but, you know, when I know that like for the, the family, the synods against the family, the um, the delegates that were picked by the USCCB tended to be more conservative than the delegates that were picked by the Vatican. Hmm. Um, you know, the USCCB would send, you know, I think um, Chaput and um, Gomez and uh, some of the others, you know, who are not, I mean, they're not like traditional, but they're they're fairly conservative. And then, you know, the Vatican would come back and say, no, send us Supich and, you know, Whirl and all this stuff. Send so, us the um, good stuff. Send us the... Send us the fun ones. We want to laugh. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what's discussed, and obviously we should pray for that and um, hope that, you know, solutions are reached. But, you know, we really need to see basically a, a culture change from some of the filth that we're hearing about with the clergy. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people be tempted to make this political and to kind of break up into their camp, you know, um, and, you know, defend if, you know, if they're trads, they want to defend trad priests. And if they're this, I mean, obviously currently the focus is on, um, you know, churchmen that are described as being liberal, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, people like Cardinal Whirl, former Cardinal McCarrick, um, Cardinal Tobin, etc. But, um, there's there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in all different corners of the church from stories I've heard, and so it, it it's just yes. Today the headlines are about you know the more modern liberal clergy, but again tomorrow the headlines could be you know somebody that was just appeared at the last Sumorum Pontificum conference. You know, so I mean you just can't you can't you know we're don't break up into factions you know, know the enemy. You know, the enemy is is sin and this bad behavior. It's not, you know, people who like, you know, guitar mass or whatever. You know, I mean, we're we're not, we're we're fighting filth. We're not fighting liturgical battles. We're not fighting doctrinal. You know, I mean, we're we're just a, you know, focus. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's uh, it's also easy to fall into our little Catholic Twitter bubble to make things like random tweets from random professors of East Coast universities that make them seem larger than they actually are, right? So most of the people out there in the churches aren't 
furiously checking Twitter all the time to see what these people are saying. So yeah, it's I don't know everything. Everything right. can be like a heightened reality. Well, you know, to that end, we've talked about how the media is like dismissing this as a conservative pounce thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the recent days there have been pieces run in both um commonweal and america magazine you know basically criticizing this situation and and asking for answers to vegano's claims um and so and there've even been statements i mean even from you know the man even from uh, massimo fagioli himself you know that that show a certain willingness to to criticize this stuff and to not make this political so um, you know, but I mean, to have Commonweal and America, you know, criticizing, you know, these, these different clergy, uh, is definitely, you know, out of the ordinary. And I mean, it does show that I, I do think that the people are realizing now's not the time to be political. Right. Yeah, no, it's bigger than that. Right. Um, also a whole slew of other states have announced grand jury investigations of the diocese within their states um and several of the bishops have said that they will comply i i I think arkansas the bishop announced he'd comply before the state even declared an investigation if i read that correctly so um yeah we'll see and then the big rumor and i mean obviously this is just a rumor we have no way of confirming this um i think it was patrick coffin that's who um so there was what we do know about and I tweeted this video that Taylor Marshall did that explains there was this whole investigation in dossier about um, immoral practices that happened among clergy in the Vatican and it was given to Pope Benedict shortly before he resigned right Um, it's in a red binder and the red binder dossier he then I believe gave to Pope Francis um, after he was uh, elected and the rumor is that that has leaked Okay. In the Italian press. And if that's true, everyone needs to hold on tightly. And again, I mean, pray your rosary. This this might be a time to like, you know, turn off news. I mean, it it it, it's probably horrifying. So if that leaked, brace yourselves. Is it a Sam Jackson Jurassic Park hold on to your butts moment, Zach? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's like if you've ever seen. Uh, I've quoted it before on this show, so I, I guess I can just own up to that. I've watched this movie multiple times. If you've ever seen Mean Girls, okay, <laughs> um, when when the burn book gets open and oh. replicated and print all over, and it's full jungle mayhem, that doesn't even approach what will happen when the secrets of of you know this dossier get leaked. I mean, it it's thought that this dossier was what helped convince Benedict that he wasn't strong enough with his age to continue as Pope. Mm-hmm. That's not been confirmed, but you know, that's not hard to imagine. So, um, you know, again, I mean, it's just keep praying, um, for your faith, you know, focus on our lady, pray your rosary every day, uh, wear the scapular and get enrolled in the scapular. Um, you know, because this stuff does have the power to scandalize you, and it, it, even if you think that you know so much, and you're you're you know triple black belt ninja Catholic, and you're never going to leave the church, I, I you know Martin Luther himself was a priest, he was a monk. Okay, sure. And all, all the 
all the Protestant religions were basically founded by priests, right? I right. Mean, yeah, that's the joke. It's like, if you don't like Catholic priests, why would you join a religion started by one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, right. And so just, you know, again, don't don't exempt yourself from losing your faith at all of this stuff. I mean, it, it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change anything about salvation or our Lord's promises, but it can it can sure feel like it. So on that note, I thought we could spend some time talking about the church and what the church is and, you know, the attributes of the church, the marks of the church, the makeup of it, you know. Yeah, let's um, take it just take it all the way back. We talk a lot about why you should stay Catholic and why you shouldn't jump ship. So this is kind of a going back to the basics of laying it out so when people ask why you're not leaving, you can talk to them about this type of stuff. Right. Is that is that a, is so, that a proper way of putting it? I don't I don't know. It sounded weird coming out of my mouth. No, I think that is. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're basically the you know the church is going through a crisis, and um, talking about what the church is is I think just an important thing to do right now, just because right now I, I just think so much has been shaken up. So let's mm-hmm. you know let's let's reaffirm. So, right. So when people when Latin, people say how can you stay in the church with all these with all these bad men running around, we can you can just tell them uh, just go to Roman Circus episode thirty two and start around minute seventeen, and uh, that's why. Exactly. I don't know. Anyway, continue. Well, so the Latin word for the church is ecclesia, which actually mm-hmm. just comes straight from the Greek as well, and what that literally means is a calling forth. Okay. Um, and it was initially kind of used to just refer to a gathering of people. And then, you know, gradually was understood to be, you know, the church capital C. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the Christian society or what St. Augustine says is that the church consists of the faithful dispersed throughout the world. Okay. Um, so it's it's everybody under the same banner regardless of location. Yes. Okay. And so, you know, in Scripture, um, you can see in, like, the letter to Timothy, you know, that it, it's called um, a house and edifice of God, mm-hmm. um, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar and ground of truth, um, the flock of the sheep of Christ, the door and the shepherd, the spouse of Christ, um, the body of Christ. There's obviously all these different names given for the church in scripture that kind of gives you, you know, a picture of, of what that is. Right. Um, and so, you know, what the church has declared in the past is that the church is the mystical body of Jesus Christ. Um, so that's what Pius XII said. He said to describe this true church of Christ, which is the Holy Catholic apostolic Roman church. There's no name more noble, none more excellent, none more divine than the expression, the mystical body of Jesus Christ. I think, I think that's accurate. I think, I think he's right, Zach. I'm not going to second guess a Pope named Pius the 12th. Those Piuses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, um, who started the church, Matt? Well, who started, oh, that's a, uh, I don't want to get, tangled up founded the church well the the church was founded by jesus christ through peter 
Zach. That's right. Okay. So the church was founded by the God man Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, I is it bad that God man kind of makes me chuckle? I don't know why it. it it's me. an interesting phrase, and like I don't think I'd ever heard that before I was Catholic. Mm-hmm. The God man, but okay. I, I like it. You know. Yeah. Well, he is you know fully God and fully man. So. Yeah. So to quote the very excellent First Vatican Council, which is short, and everyone should read the whole thing all their documents, but what they had to say, the eternal shepherd and bishop of our souls resolved in order to give permanent duration to the saving work of redemption to establish the Holy Church in which all the faithful would be welded together as in the house of the living God by the bond of one faith and of the one charity. Okay. And then Pius X, okay, we love him, Mm -hmm. doubles down in the anti-modernist oath, which everyone should recite each morning. I'm sure you do, Matt. Oh, I do all the that, time. Not every morning, but also was... noon and night, Zach. So, oh yeah, not just once. You can never say the oath against modernism more. We should just do an episode where we break down like line by line the oath against modernism. Oh man, I'm in. Anyway, continue. So he says, Pius X, Saint Pius X, the Church was founded immediately and personally by the true and historical Christ during the time of his earthly life. Mm. And so that's important because it's a matter of faith that Christ founded the church, but it's also just a historical fact. Yeah, that's you know, what it's I was kind of say. like. I, that struck me when I read that too. The point, right. the point you know, out I mean, historically. Like, yes, like Jeff Bezos founded uh, Amazon, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just a historical fact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, none of us saw that, but that that is what happened. And you know, historically, a man named. You know, absent any supernatural understanding, obviously this man named Jesus of Nazareth started um, a society, an organization that continues to exist to this day and has never not existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we know from faith that that man was God and that, you know, that society that he started is the church, which has the purpose of training men for heaven. Um, but, you know, Stripping all that away, you just have the mere historical fact that, you know, 2,000 some odd years ago, this man, Jesus, started a society that continues to this day and is called the Catholic Church. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how people think a lot of things, but just that very fact seems like it should be relevant and powerful enough to, you know, push people to Catholicism. But you never know. I don't know how people think, like I said. So, yeah, it, uh, reading along this next point, we're, so we're take we're talking, we're kind of going through the fundamentals of Catholic dogma by, by Ott. Um, yes, we're heavily borrowing from, from Ott, fundamentals of Catholic dogma. So to kind of talk through what the church is. Yeah. So it, it, it says that the establishment, I like this line, the establishment of the Church of Christ means that he himself laid down the essential elements of her teaching, her liturgy, and her constitution. So basically, laying down the not only the outline, but like the structure and everything to go forth with this church. Right? So one, one thing, oh, I, I think it was, man, I wish I can remember i'll i'll look at this quote but it who it was by but someone i read a quote once that said if jesus came down and just kind of wandered around and was kind of vague and didn't really have a set strategy then it would have just 
been like ultra confusing and would have gone against his mission, right? His purpose. So Mm -hmm. it, Oh, it's Frank Sheed and knowing in the book, knowing God, he says, okay, to reveal and then leave men with nothing but their best guess as to all that is contained in his communication would frustrate his purpose in revealing, which I loved that quote. And I think it kind of goes along here of, of Christ didn't come down and just kind of, you know, just tell you like, love everyone, yada, yada, do this and that. It's basically all good. Like, no, he, if, if God is going to come down and take human form, he is going to, he's going to give a specific plan and a specific purpose for the outline of this church. Right. I mean, consider that, you know, 10 of the apostles went on to be martyred after the resurrection and mm-hmm. the, after the um, Pentecost. There weren't, you, you don't, you know, leave your homeland and travel to the corners of the world and get brutally martyred for, you know, vague notions. I right. Know, like, right. And then think about all of the martyrs in the early centuries. So does, I mean, and before the, the scriptures were even, you know, fully laid down. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, to say that, that we don't know, you know, that everything about the church was developed, you know, hundreds of years later and we, you know, Christ didn't lay all this out. I mean, you just kind of have to ask, would, would people die for this? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it, you know, it's a, it's a very deep question that we could ask of ourselves, but just the very founding, you, it would have to be, I mean, what other, what other example in history before this time, or I guess, well, not after, cause we have examples of that, but up until this time, right? Like how many people were dying for their faith? And it, I mean, there, maybe there is, and maybe I'm completely off base, right? But like. It it's such a powerful thing to, yeah, just to leave your home and go travel to a completely foreign land, knowing that you're probably going to end up being killed. Right, and I mean, I just don't think that you could reasonably conclude that you know these people would do this if if it was so vague and they didn't really know what what our Lord intended the church to be. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. That's yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like, it's, there had to be certain things that had to be taught. Right. And I mean, you even look, you know, I mean, I know that you grew up Catholic, so you, you probably don't know much about scripture, but, um, <laughs> what a the, jerk. The old Testament, you know, is hundreds, thousands of years of God, you know, preparing the world for the coming of, you know, for the coming of Christ. Right. And do we really think he would come down and give a few vague platitudes and then disappear yeah. and leave it to us to figure out the rest? No, it would be like what uh, – pardon my – I don't think it, – it's not blasphemy. It's just a point. But, like, that's not a person – if that is what happened, that's not a person worth following, right? That's not like a – why would you – it's lunacy to follow a person who came down and just gave vagaries to your death. It's complete lunacy. Right. But anyway, well, and that's why, like, I, you know, I just remember I would, you know, I mean, you know, you, you go to like super fun rock band church mm-hmm. and, you know, you're eating popcorn and watching a laser light show and, and, you know, <laughs> all this stuff. And you have to think, so this is why the Israelites wandered around for 40 years 
And, you know, this is why the Battle of Jericho had to happen so we could do this. I mean, you know, it, it just kind of starts to make sense that obviously there's a bit more to Christianity than um, the sort of modern hippie Jesus view well, allows for. Zach, to be fair, those people are worshiping the God of self, and that's a whole other podcast for a whole other time. But, yeah, I get <laughs> I get. I get your point. Let's move on. What's the next? What's the next? Well, the one next here? one. So we know that the church was founded by Jesus, but why was it founded by Jesus? Hmm. Well, can I take a stab at it? Do it. If if Christ came down to redeem the whole of mankind, right? He would have to redeem with a plan going forth. And that plan would have to be in some sort of structure as the church, right? Not every, the redemption is not, you're not redeemed individually to your person. You're redeemed the same way everyone else is redeemed. And there has to be that redemption going forward. Is that, yes, is that, is that acceptable? What do you got? Yep. So, um, that is it. So what the Vatican council, the first Vatican council declares Christ resolved to establish the Holy Church in order to give permanent duration to the work of the redemption. Mm -hmm. And then Pope Leo expands on that. He says, what did Christ the Lord achieve by the foundation of the church? What did he wish? This. He wished to delegate to the church the same office and the same mandate which he had himself received from the Father in order to continue them. So basically... You know, the work that Christ did when he was on earth, which you can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, Interesting. Yes. Um, you know, basically the the works of Christ are what, what he started the church to continue to do. And then you look, you know, what are the sacraments? Baptizing, confirming, um, you know, forgiving sins, giving mm -hmm. of the body. I mean, you know, it all, um, it all, you know, encompasses the actions that Christ took when he was on earth. Right. That's another thing that was kind of eye-opening to me was that, again, God would not come down and take on human form, assume human form to like, well, he would, he would come to lead, but he, because of the original sin and because of the fall, everything had to be redeemed. So he had to take, he had to basically Man, I, I'm again. I'm going to apologize if some of my wording is a little off, and you can correct me. But he had to take, he had to participate in humanity to redeem everything that had, was fallen about humanity to set it on the right path. Right. So it's not. It was not just. It was not just coming down as a figure to lead. It was a figure that led, but also like was fully immersed in that redemption. Does that, I, I, again, I, the wording, I don't want to, I don't want to slip into some random heresy, but does that, is that kind of make sense along those lines? What I was saying? Yeah, I think it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so for, that's kind of when things started falling into place more for teaching when I, when I was told and when I learned that he would had to, actually do the redeeming the redeeming actually involved participation in actively redeeming everything so yeah and, yes all right 
I got that out. I was worried. But I landed it. Huh. No, you did good. You did good. So what what that leads to, and this can get confusing, is basically what the church says is that by reason of her purpose mm-hmm. and the means she uses to effect it, the church is a supernatural spiritual society. Mm, like the Illuminati, yes. <laughs> Just like the Illuminati, man. Yeah. Um so what that basically means is, yes, like the church is a society. It consists of, of men and women, just like civil society. Right. But the purpose set for it is supernatural and spiritual, mm. you know, to help man attain heaven. And so for that reason, it's different from civil society. Okay. Um, is, so civil we also society, know that because, you know, is civil society more like a natural law society? Right. Okay. Civil society is, is ordered towards like the natural Right. And the church is ordered towards the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And we kind of know that because Christ says, you know, to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world in Scripture. Right. right? Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that, the, you know, because the supernatural and the natural are interrelated um, and interdependent, that, you know, that that means that the church is going to have to take on certain natural functions in order to carry out her mission. Okay. And so there was an error condemned by Pius IX. So that that error reads, and this statement's condemned, the church has no native and legitimate right of acquiring and possessing. Hmm. Okay, and so the reason he condemns that is because you, you start to have these weird ideas about, you know, the church shouldn't have, you know, any possessions, shouldn't be able to own property or buy things. You get a lot of this from the European countries trying to snatch all the church's land and buildings. Right. Like in the French Revolution and the English Reformation and all that. Um but, you know, the idea is the church can't teach, you know, it, it, it requires, in the, the the church exists in the natural world, so it, it has to have buildings and, you know, it has stuff it, to say mass. And, it's I mean, okay there, there's stuff for, involved. Right. It's okay for, say, American cardinals to have nice 80th birthday parties like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently using candles instead of light bulbs suddenly makes your your dinner super. I mean, if, if you had literally swapped the candles for light bulbs, the birthday pictures wouldn't be all that different. I know, right? Um, okay, we're we're talking about just in case anyone's not sure. There were, um, I, was it Professor Fajoli who tweeted the the side by side pictures of Pope Francis's birthday, which was kind of a you know plain celebration. Um, I think with with homeless people. Um, at least in the pictures, and then Cardinal Burke's birthday celebration, which was um, seminarians and members of the faithful sharing a candlelight dinner. So it looked very, you know, elegant and yeah, and yeah, um, um, not a super important thing. And I, I don't think anybody, yeah, it's just th- cared too much right, about that. It's just but. something that people tried to use against, I don't know, conservatives or something. I don't know. But anyway. Sorry, I'll try. Yes. I'll, I'll try not to tangent off, but I can't pass up an opportunity for a joke, Zach. Right, that's fair. That's fair. So we we know the church is a supernatural spiritual society, but the church is also, in fact, a perfect society. Okay, what does this mean? Well, it means that she possesses in herself and by herself, mm-hmm. by the will and the goodness of her founder, which is Jesus Christ. Right. Everything that is necessary for her existence and her efficacy. Well, that makes sense so, because if Christ is God and Christ establishes something on earth, it would be done perfectly. And if it did not contain a, this perfectness, 
then it would be a failure, which means that God would have failed. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. And so that's important because, um, you know, what, what we know from Pope Leo the 13th, he says, as the aim which the church pursues is the most sublime, which basically that aim is, you know, to get people into heaven mm-hmm. to worship God. So also her power is most imminent and it cannot be considered as being less than the civil power or in any way subject to the civil power. Right. Okay, so you have a lot of errors about that today of people who think that the church is some organization that's established under that's under the authority of a civil government, etc. But, you know, the church was founded by the God-man. Um, your country, whichever one it is, was not. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the state doesn't have power over the church in that sense. Um, now, there is, obviously, the church has an independent purpose distinct from the purpose of the state okay so the the church is after the sanctification and eternal salvation of men um and so because of that her you know that's that kind of trumps everything so by virtue of god's ordinance the exercise of her powers independent of all temporal power so the church rejects every intervention of state power in the domain of the church such as state approval of the promulgation of the church laws and decrees, the hindrance of the practice of the church's juridical function by the invocation of a temporal power, and the hindering of the free intercourse of the bishops and faithful with the Pope, interventions in the organization of the church. So that's really important, um, you know, because I do think that that's something that gets forgotten by people kind of all across the the theological spectrum, that, you know, it's a doctrine of the church that the church is independent of state authority right okay so you can't just decide to subject the church to a civil authority because it's convenient now all right so this begs the question zach mm-hmm. all of these district attorneys and all of these states looking to get in on this action within the church are, wh- where does this fall in this, right? Because obviously, you know, I don't want anyone to think I'd, I'm saying that bad people should not be held accountable for their actions. I absolutely am saying that they should. But is there any, what, is there any like thin line or sticky wicket that could arise because of this recent stuff? Well... I think it just points to the overall, I guess, just the sadness of the situation that we're in, mm-hmm. um, because it sort of speaks to like a crisis of fatherhood, that it, it's ultimately the bishop's job, and we'll talk more about this, to govern their diocese, and the pope's job to govern the church, and the fact that there are faithful Catholics who are cheering on intervention by the state because the it's a church authorities dereliction are of duty not basically hand- right and unfortunately that doesn't the church doesn't deputize the state to carry out these functions by neglecting them right but it certainly appears like she does and so you know I think that's why we need to be praying for the church mm-hmm. because obviously all this this filth needs to be addressed um 
In well, certain cases, though, I mean, people have been deputized, right? The Pope invited journalists to investigate the claims. So when you see people like Elizabeth Brunig talking to victims and publishing stories, she's doing what the Pope has asked absolutely. for to do. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have to watch for that. But it, again, it, it, it's a it's a really tough situation, you know? Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, we wouldn't have to have these DAs and these people looking into this if it was taken care of by the people who should have taken care of it so it's it's i don't know if you can necessarily that say that this is a situation where the state is crossing the line because they the people who the people who are in charge kind of deemed that there was no line to be crossed right whether that's correct or not so i i i think it's probably valid that people are looking into this um, because at the end of the day if there were federal crimes committed they need to be brought to justice but it just shows the giant dereliction of duty by so right. many people well you know and in scripture right so whenever the um, the Israelites misbehave God would chastise them you know basically using outsiders that would come in and wreck their society mm-hmm. right and so, I mean, you don't cheer on the outsiders, but it was just those chastisements were were earned. Sure. You know? And so, you know, that's it, it's tough. I think it requires lots of prayer, and people much smarter than me can probably explain better how the church's, you know, doctrines about, you know, what the church is uh, apply in these cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully people start talking more about it. It just, it, it, it's, I guess it's an uncomfortable thing. Cause I mean, obviously I would imagine that the, I mean, the, the Pennsylvania grand jury report has already borne good fruit. Right. To an extent, because people are talking about this now and making a change and there's going to be an extraordinary synod and whatnot. And so, and I mean, we have seen leaders of the church, you know, agree to comply with, with the state on these matters. And so in that sense that it is, you know, the, the church is in its authority is, is allowing this. And so, you know, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I just, it, it was an interesting point brought up in this that was relevant to today. So I thought we could touch on it. Oh yeah. All right. What's up, what's up next? Where are we headed? So we've kind of talked about the idea of the church and now let's look at like the, the structure. So, the church is uh, hierarchical. Okay. And what the church teaches is that Christ gave his church a hierarchical constitution. Um, and, you know, you do see a lot of errors in, in this where people think that, you know, the early church was a bunch of people, you know, singing kumbaya. Um, you know, there was no structure. It, you know, it was just like a big hippie comedy. I mean, but, right? yeah, but Jesus Christ basically snuffed this out the instant he found he founded the church on Peter, Jesus wasn't in the upper room with the apostles and said like, okay, you're all, you're all the same. Let's, let's do this. Right. He, he actually deemed Peter the, the first one. Right. Well, so it's important to remember that science doesn't tell history, right. Or science doesn't prove history, but there have been, you know, digs where they've found old, churches and worship spaces that Christians use and even just the way it's laid out it was very hierarchical and you had people sitting in this place because they were the you know I mean it was not you know 
It was not tent revival. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, Judaism was all about hierarchy, right? They only a certain person could go into the they like each each step of the, the way, holies, yeah, yeah. Each but each step of the way into the holy of holies, only certain people could get in there. So it was like it's not like everybody was allowed right up to the edge where where the ark was, right? There was there was even rungs below that. So yeah. right. And I mean, it, it's a little bit of a snooze fest. I hope that's okay to say <laughs> to read the parts of scripture where you know in great detail. God's explaining to the Israelites how they are to worship him, right? right. Like the, how strict the rubrics right. were. And so that, that doesn't all just get thrown out and it's, it's all, you know, tambourines and handholding mm-hmm. with, with the new Testament church. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was hierarchical. Um, and the church has been really clear on that. So at Trent, the church, you know, says, uh, clearly the, there exists in the Catholic church, a hierarchy instituted by divine ordinance. Um, and then Pius X condemned the proposition, which was something that the modernists said, which was that the church hierarchy is a result of a general historical development. So, again, it's this idea that, you know, out of the sort of kumbaya, handhold, you know, hippie commune, slowly, you know, these... A real go-getter. formed and... Yeah. So, you know, slowly these people rose up and took all the power and, you know, and these sort of... I mean, you know, these just sort of dumb folktales people tell right um yeah it would again show it would, it's along the lines of uh god wouldn't come down and assume human form just to leave everybody with a really muddled structure or no structure at all so right yeah. right so you have the apostles um and then side by side with the apostles are you know the bishops and the priests deacons all of that and so a, a clever, uh, an interesting way to just understand what the hierarchy of the church is, is you just, you have the people under the priests, under the bishops, under the pope. Okay. And so that's sort of the hierarchy of the church. So if you, if you step outside of that, so I kind of ask yourself, what am I? So I am the people. So I have to be under a priest, the pastor of my parish. If I step outside of that, I'm in schism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not like just by leaving my one parish, but if I'm not, you know, if I'm not, if I don't have a pastor then, you know, I'm not part of that structure. If I'm a bishop and I don't have a superior, sorry, if I'm a bishop and I'm not the bishop of Rome, the pope, and I don't have a superior, not to name names, (laughs) I am in, I mean, there's really no other definition of schism. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. So as part of the hierarchy, we know that the powers bestowed on the apostles have descended to the bishops. Okay, so each each bishop can directly trace their line back to one of the apostles yes okay yes and it, you know it's, it's an organic continuation you know it, it the bishops you know they pick the next bishop they pick the next bishop and it you know it will last until the end of time mm-hmm. um, and there's you know a lot of good writings by like the immediate disciples of the apostles themselves and so that's kind of cool to see um, but the, you know the head of all this of course, is the Pope. So the next thing we'll talk about is the primacy of St. Peter. Okay. So here's the dogma. Christ appointed the Apostle Peter to be the first of all the apostles and to be the visible head of the whole church by appointing him immediately and personally to the primacy of jurisdiction. Okay, that's dogma. That's so like, we can, that's, uh, 
put the flashing lights around that one. That's the that's locked in. Yes, we know this one. Um, and this has, you know, been declared by the councils throughout the time. So we know that the invisible head of the church is the risen Christ, and St. Peter represents the you know, the visible head of the church, also called the vicar of Christ or the representative of Christ on earth. Right. And that power is transferred down to his um, his successors. And that's why so, that's why Peter has the keys. Whatever he binds on earth yes. will be bound, and whatever he lets loose will be let loose. Did you know? Exactly. He's, so he's holding two different keys. Did you know the sack? He's holding one gold key and one silver key. No, I didn't know this. So the gold key stands for the ability to unlock heaven via the priesthood, and the silver key is for the power of jurisdiction. So whenever you look at okay. a picture of St. Peter holding the keys, if he's holding one gold key and one silver key, gold is the ability to unlock heaven via the priesthood. Silver is for the power of jurisdiction. And that is Boom. my contribution to this podcast. Yes, and you know, jurisdiction is such an interesting topic because I mean, it basically is a uh, you know, a, the authority. Mm-hmm. Um and the pope has universal jurisdiction, so he's you know, he has authority everywhere. Um so uh, expanding on that, the perpetuation of the primacy. So according to Christ's ordinance, Peter is to have successors in his primacy over the whole church and for all time. Um, so the Vatican Council actually pronounced an anathema on this. So listen, oh, man. what they said, if anyone denies that in the virtue of the decree of our Lord Christ himself, blessed Peter has perpetual successors in his primacy over the universal church, let him be anathema. So that's really, really, really important that basically there will always be a successor of Peter. Like you have the interregnum period after a pope dies right. um, or is no longer in office, but then a pope will be elected. You you can't have a situation where there's no pope anymore. Right. That, Until the end of time, there will be popes. Yeah, so when one dies, that doesn't mean that there ceases to be... It's there's only It only ceases to be a pope because he's dead, not because the actual... Uh, the actual requirement of having a pope has been lifted. Right. And, um, you know, it's not some mystery as to who the pope is because, again, the church has declared that the the successors of Peter in the primacy are the bishops of Rome. Um, So, you know, that can be tricky because obviously we understand the pope is having a universal role, but then specifically the pope is the bishop of Rome. Right. So we, um, we talked so, a few weeks ago about the the chaotic time when there was three popes at once and there was a whole line of popes and anti-popes. So you can tell who the anti-popes were because they actually moved to Florence or to, I forget exactly where the other one, but they it was not Rome. So they actually... Um, took their shop elsewhere so that's how that's kind of how they you know they figured out who was amongst other things but that was a basically a sign of who was actually pope and who was an anti-pope yeah the avignon papacy and and all that craziness right um right and so you know the implications of the role of the papacy have become clearer and more understood throughout time and so all of the specific trappings and roles and and duties carried out by the Pope, you know, were not necessarily present from the beginning, and nobody pretends that they were. 
Um, but I mean, it is clear even in scripture that Peter is in charge. I mean, that they, they, they make that obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we like everything, you know, Christ gives us the deposit of faith and through time it develops and blooms. Um, because while the, you know, that's what the Holy Spirit kind of guides the church through. So the understanding of the papacy has, um, become more clear throughout the centuries. Um, Okay, so we're going to go back to that jurisdiction word, because here's another thing about the papacy. The Pope possesses full and supreme power of jurisdiction over the whole church, not merely in matters of faith and morals, but also in church discipline and in the government of the church. Mm, Okay. So this really, really establishing them, the Pope, as the head of all of it. Yes, and so it's it's like a it's a monarchy essentially. Mm-hmm. We're so used to, you know, separation of 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 powers and um, of like a constitutional government in the United States. You know, the three branches, mm-hmm. and you know, there's like someone else to appeal to and all that stuff. But that doesn't exist in the church. There's nobody that you can appeal to past the pope. No checks and balances. Right. Well, there there's one really important one, and you know what that is. Uh, is that the is that a council of bishops? No, it's it's actually the Holy Spirit. Oh so man, the, the Holy Spirit will, will will protect the church from a bad pope. Not um, not any committees, or uh, certainly not a grand jury, or you know, right. the media or something. Right, because at the end of the day, it, if if evil really seep, seeps in, the Holy Spirit will be there to snuff the evil out. Because the quote is the gates of hell will not prevail over the church, Zach. That's right. So, you know, while there's not some board of appeals you can go to or someone you can send a letter to to complain about the Pope's decisions, um, there is God. And you can pray and you can also trust that, that God has a plan for for you personally, but a plan for his church. And he's he's not... He's not ever abandoning the church. Right. So a big buzzword people like to throw out when it comes to the Pope is infallibility. Okay. So to brief, there's a lot we could say on that, but to briefly touch on that, what the church has defined as dogma uh, is that the Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra. Okay. What is that? Define that. Okay. It's tricky, right? Right. So... The bearer of infallibility is every lawful pope as successor of Peter, the prince of the apostles. And the pope, um, he alone is infallible, not like the Roman congregations or people who act on his behalf. It's just him. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it only and applies object under certain this in... cir- circumstances. Exactly. Like if the pope were to it's walk an out and of... say, the sky is green, that does not mean that the sky is green. But right. I keep cutting you off, so, so continue. The ob- <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, the object of his infallibility is his teaching concerning faith and morals, kind of like you said. Right. Um, so the revealed teachings and then certain non-revealed teachings, which are you know closely associated with the revelation. So like, you know, obvious conclusions. Um, and so the condition is that he speaks ex cathedra. So this is required that he speaks as pastor and teacher of all the faithful with the full weight of his supreme apostolic authority. So if he speaks as a private theologian or just as the bishop of Rome, right. not infallible. Yeah, he has to speak okay. as pope. Yes, and he has to have the intention of deciding finally a teaching of faith or morals so that it is to be held by all the faithful. Mm-hmm. 
So that intention must be clear in the formulation or by the circumstances. Otherwise, not ex cathedra. Okay. So the vast, vast, vast majority of statements made by popes are not made ex cathedra. Right. So if the pope comes out and he says something about climate change, that is not does not technically count because that is not something of faith or morals. Right. But, you know, if he talks about um, how we are to be stewards of of the things on the earth and you know that falls under the morals moral virtue of temperance um and charity then if if you were to do that it, with the intent to make a final decision that's binding on the whole church then that could be ex cathedra right so because if morals is a big topic well the the other thing about this too is it it has to be something that would have been held throughout the entire time of the church right so he he a pope can't come out in 2018 and say something is dogma that would not have pl- applied to someone in say 1114 AD right so a- anything the pope says when he is speaking on faith or morals and it is ex cathedra it it ha- you can just take it to the bank that they would have believed the same thing in the early church because the church would not go against itself. Right. And so, you know, the important thing there is that it's essentially a negative protection. Like what the Holy Spirit does is it prevents the Pope from teaching anything in this sort of ex cathedra formulation that is false. Mm -hmm. Um, One way I've heard it put is like, you know, if, if it was a math test with with 10 questions on it that the pope was taking and he was going to exercise infallibility on each question um you know what's the what's the lowest number of questions that he could get right if it was a math test and he was taking it yeah um is this a faith and morals math test zach yeah in this in this case we're saying infallibility extends to this math test he would have to get all of them correct wrong what so because he could just leave them blank. Oh. What he couldn't do is get them wrong. Uh, but he could get them right, or he could leave them blank. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. There's, I mean, there's a lot more to say about infallibility. But, you know, part of the reason that the church defined infallibility is, is essentially, the, on the flip side, to make it clear that statements that don't meet this are not infallible and are not to be held to in the same way. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can dismiss what popes say. You can't just throw out non-infallible statements altogether. But you are supposed to understand the difference. You know, otherwise, the church wouldn't have defined infallibility. Okay. 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 So to round out our discussion on the hierarchy, I just want to briefly touch on the bishops. Okay. So the bishops are the head of um, of a diocese of a specific territory. What the church says is that by virtue of divine right, the bishops possess ordinary power of government over their diocese. Okay. okay. Makes sense, right. yeah. Part of the hierarchy. Um, yes, and there's always... This is actually kind of an interesting thing. So in your diocese and, and mine, we have what are called auxiliary bishops, right. kind of assistant mm-hmm. bishops. Well, they are actually bishops of a discrete territory somewhere in the world, and then they have the additional assignment of serving as the assistant to bishop so-and-so. Okay. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I knew. So I think the Los Angeles, I think, has might have four auxiliary bishops, three or yeah, four. Yeah, like Bishop Barron, he is the bishop of some 
you know, some plot of land somewhere, not in California. And and then he's assigned to act as the assistant to Archbishop Gomez. Oh, is that, is it? Yes, Archbishop Gomez. Okay. Okay, so I, I actually did not know that. So Bishop Barron is technically a bishop somewhere else, but he is yes. assigned to help. I should have looked up where. Okay, I can I yes, can because there's that. always a just yeah there's always kind of a a discrete you know territory where the jurisdiction of the bishop is you know intrinsic. Um, wow, and then this is the next thing on the bishops. The last thing is that the individual bishop receives his pastoral power immediately from the pope. Okay, okay. so because the pope has universal jurisdiction, the bishop derives his power from the pope, not from a national bishops conference. Okay. Okay. Also not from the people. Like uh, you know, government of the people by you know, consent of the will of the governor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but they they basically you know, the pope is the universal shepherd and you know, he divides up the flock between all the bishops. And that's where they get their power from. And so when we look at the structure of the church, that's where you know, there's a lot of questions about these bishop conferences and what their actual role is because they make it seem like, you know, the bishops report to the conferences, the conferences report to the Pope or the Vatican or or what have you. And, you know, I've heard that set up compared to... I've heard that set up called uh, an error of Russia. Hmm. Basically that, you know, in Russia you have orthodoxy, which has these national churches that are autonomous. Um, and that this the system of national bishops conferences is sort of a um, replica of that, and that that's one of the heirs of Russia. I mean, I think that's extreme, but I have heard it in a sermon. Okay, wow, yeah. So, um, so to review, we've talked about the church that it was founded by Christ, that it's a spiritual and supernatural and perfect society, um, that it, it has a hierarchy given to it by God, that it's made up of the people under the priests, under the bishops, under the pope. Um, the Pope has universal jurisdiction as the successor of Peter. There'll be popes until the end of time. Um, the Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra, and the bishops derive their authority from him. Anything else? Well, I was going to tell you where Bishop Robert Barron is currently the bishop of. Okay. I can't pronounce it, but it, it, it's Macriana Mayor. Mayor? It's was an ancient, suppressed, and titular see of the Roman Catholic Church in North Africa. So there you go. So somewhere in North Africa, which I think it titular see is basically a what they call a dead diocese. So, yep. so he's the bishop of that, and I'm glad he is. God bless all those people there in that dead diocese that have Bishop Barron as their bishop. Um, but yeah, this can, so this is, there's a lot here. So this is going to be probably a multi-part thing where we're going to, we'll go through and we're, we'll, we'll hit on the, um, the marks of the church soon and the attributes of the church. It's going to be, I, I think it could be two or three episodes, which I'm pretty excited for. We, uh, yeah, but it's just good to reacquaint yourself. You know how, you know, they, everybody knows the wonderful podcast pints with aquinas mm-hmm. maybe we could do some sort of like shots with ot type thing i don't know shots with ot and he's that's he's amazing. always very like ah thanks 
Thanks for shots. Shots with thoughts. You're listening to I'm Matt Frad. I don't know. I can't do a Australian Matt Frad accent, but yeah. Oh, you've got to okay, So to do Australian, okay, you have to hold your whole face mm-hmm. for, like from your upper lip to the top completely still, and then you only move your bottom lip. Okay, I'm gonna. And it, so it's a very like lazy way of talking. Right. So you just you you hold your the top of your face still, and then you just sort of automatically drop into this. Australian accent because you're only moving your your bottom lip. Yeah, I I used to be able to do it pretty well because I spent all day on a commercial set with an Australian, so I was just listening to him talk. I spent like 16 hours with him, yeah. and I was pretty good at it by the end of that. So maybe maybe next week on our Shots with Art series, I can just talk completely in an Australian accent. Yeah, if you look at them, you you see that they don't uh, that's they don't move much of their face as they talk. That's kind of English, Zach. I hate to break it to you. I know I'm not good at accents. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, yeah, um, I totally realized I don't have a saint of the week, but I know Saint John Chrysostom was this week. So uh, take take a minute and look him up. He's great. That's your that's your saint of the week. <laughs> Saint of the Week is a homework assignment this time, people. <laughs> oh, man. Great stuff. Glad we're back, Zach. Glad to talk to you, as always. Always a pleasure, Matt. All right. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week. See you later. See you later.